Well, good morning to you as well. My name is uh, Dave Jacobson, uh, one of the pastors here, and excited to uh, get into God's word this morning. Um, thankful for our team and leading us in worship this morning. I don't know about you, I have loved um, you know driving around this last week or so, and uh, the colors are particularly. Uh, good this year. Are they not? Am I the only one? Yeah, I think they're super pretty. And I love that about God, right? Because he, he could have just made the leaves fall off and, um, you know, not wasted, like, kind of spent extra time kind of crafting this whole thing that they turn beautiful colors as they fall off. But that's what he chose to do. He chose to kind of paint a little beautiful picture for us. And, um, you know, I, I think we're reminded that the seasons do change. I know some of us get a little, um, uh, we don't love seeing the colorful colors colors because that means that there's some white stuff that's coming soon after that, right? And uh, we kind of uh, forget about that uh, here at Wisconsin, but we, we live with that for quite a bit. But um, as we just sang, I, I love that though the seasons change, the times change, um, you know, we walk through different parts and seasons of life. The Lord is always faithful, and God is always true to his word and what he has said he will do, and I just love that uh, reality that as we gather together, we can um, rest in that truth, that God is always, always, always faithful. And so, um, uh, you know, it is just a joy to be able to, um, to respond to him in that way uh, together. Before we get into God's word this morning, I just want to take just a minute and um, share a couple special things about um, a few things happening in the life of our church that I think would be helpful to just draw our attention to. Um, the first is um, we want to continue to put before you and, and kind of remind you and, and ask for your participation in prayer in the Redemption Church launch. Um, it is coming up. Uh, they got into the middle school this last Friday night, um, and uh, they are having a um, kind of practice service, if you will. They're kind of setting up and kind of going through all the things, making sure you know everything's in its place and ready to go. Um, contrary to what you might believe, like this doesn't just doesn't just happen. Like we don't just kind of show up and decide what we're going to do. So there's a lot of planning and preparation that goes into it, especially in a portable space. And so they are meeting this week and next week and kind of having practice services. And then the 23rd is when they are launching. That is our first church plant as a church. We are so excited to see that church uh, begin and to launch, and um, and a couple ways that you can be involved. Um, one, I want to continue to put it before you. We're going to pray about it this week on our uh, Tuesday night prayer meeting, but um, we want to be praying for them. So if you would, please pray for Redemption Church. Pray for that core group. Pray for people to come and to hear and to receive. I mean, we believe this, that Monroe needs another life-giving, uh, Christ-exalting, Bible-preaching church um, there in that community. And so we're praying that there would be a strong start and that people will be um, challenged and affected, influenced, um, uh, grown through the ministry there. And um, you know, some of you uh, may be feeling called to give toward that. That is certainly an option that you could do. I just wanted to let you know as a church, um, we had hung on to some portable equipment um, that we were hoping to repurpose for a church plant. And so we gave them um, a little over $10,000 worth of equipment um, that we had been hanging on to that they were um, in need of. So it worked out really well. There were some things that we had been using or we had used when we were in the high school that they were able to use. In addition to that, we gave them another um, $7,500 that we had uh, set aside in our budget for church planning. Um, Perhaps you might be uh, called... 
feeling led to, to give in a, uh, you know, above of what we've kind of given as a church, you certainly can. You can find um, that. If you go to our giving platform, you can put that um, there. You'll see Redemption Church uh, Monroe, but that's one of the ways you can be involved. But the other way, we'd love for many of you, and we've mentioned this before, but just kind of like um, now is the time to begin signing up. We'd love for you to go and to be a part and just see what God's doing there and just be an encouragement. Um, you know, those first several weeks are, are a bit like, you know, a um, little, little rocky at times or a little bit just, I mean, it's just, it's so cool to just see what God is kind of doing and, 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 and what can happen there. And so, as I said, they're launching on the 23rd for the following six weeks after, we would love to go down and visit them and to make sure that we're not just kind of closing our doors here and all of you choose the same Sunday to go down. Um, there is a place on our uh, events page, on our signups, that you can sign up to go down and to be a part of that. And so um, we'd love to kind of stagger that. And so there's a handful each week. And so if you just want to go and attend, that's totally awesome. And we love that. But if you want to serve, there's some ways between like, um, you know, greeting and, and set up and some other ways that you can jump in and help them serve. It was such a blessing to us as we launched as a church. We'd love to be that same um, blessing and, and just help to them. Um, so check that out on, uh, on the uh, church center and uh, on our events. You can um, sign up for, uh, for that to be a part of that. Um, the other thing that is coming up that I, again, want to just take just a second and, and make sure that we're um, aware of and, and kind of preparing is our trunk or treat, which is coming up at the end of the month. That's um, on October 29th. And um, this is just an opportunity, a great chance to really serve our community. That's one of our, our desires is we want to be a blessing to this neighborhood, to our community, the greater community that we're a part of. It's a great chance to invite friends. And so if you've never been to a trunk or treat, um, people decorate trunks. And uh, then um, uh, kids can kind of trick or treat to the trunks and they're all kind of decorated and decked out, get a bunch of candy. It's a win, 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 okay? So like it's fun for us because we get to hand out candy and kind of, you know, who doesn't love handing out candy? Um, it's a win for the kids because they um, get a bunch of candy and have some fun. There's some, we're gonna have some food, hot dogs and, and bounce house and that. And it's a win for the parents because I mean, really in 15 minutes, you can kind of knock out like what would be you know, much longer if you're a you know, mile and a half away walking, all that, like who has time for that? So just, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's just a, it's a real win. And, and so there are ways you can be involved in this as well. Um, the first is bring a bag of candy. I hope that you're handing out candy at your house. Even if you're not like opening the door, put a bowl out. We all know it's going to get stolen, but come on, be a good neighbor, put some candy out for some kids. Okay. If you're buying candy for your house, buy an extra bag or two for the church. So we want to supply. If you're doing a trunk, you don't have to come up with all the candy. Okay. We're going to all pitch in for that together. And so bring some quality candy. Um, you can put it back there in the, um, in the lobby. And then um, we're looking for probably 20 to 30 cars. So you don't have to do this on your own. You can partner up. If you've got you know, somebody else you want to do it with, somebody in your small group, maybe another couple or something, um, you can uh, decorate your car. Um, there's ideas. Just Google it. There's tons in there. I think we put some on our, our sign up as well. There's going to be some prizes just as an incentive for the best, um, the best cars. There's a couple categories that we'll, we'll rate and uh, judge you in uh, with that. And we're also looking for a handful of people to serve, whether it's um, with the food or the bounce house, that kind of thing. Um, we're really excited about that. If you just want to attend and you want to bring your kids, grandkids, that's awesome. Just bring some friends with you. Don't, don't come alone. It's on, um, uh, on the October 29th. So anyways, I'm excited. It's going to be a fun night hanging out. Hopefully you're excited as well. Can't wait to see um, just all that God uh, does, just even in that opportunity to just serve, bless, love our 
uh, community in that way. Well, let's turn our attention to God's word now, if we can. Uh, Hopefully you brought a copy of scripture. If you did, go ahead and get that out and turn to it. If you've got the uh, scripture journal, you're already there. Uh, But we're in chapter two, uh, beginning in verse 14 this morning of the book of James. So we're continuing in the book of James this morning. And um, as you're turning there, uh, the topic, as we've said, the book of James is a lot like uh, sort of, it's been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, There's a lot of just practical wisdom for daily living. And James kind of jumps from topic to topic. And one of the indicators, um, not always, but often, he'll say, my brothers. So this morning, it's the same thing. He says, what good is it, my brothers? And he's introducing this new topic. The new topic that James is is, um, introducing that we're looking at this morning is this. It's one of, it's a topic of genuine faith. Genuine faith. James is unpacking for the church what does genuine faith look like? And he frames it against um, what we could call a fake faith, a useless faith, a dead faith. Uh, There's a difference between a real genuine faith and one that is dead and um, is useless. Um, uh, I would kind of illustrate it this way. We understand the difference between a real sports ticket and a fake sports ticket. Some of you are old enough to remember the day when you didn't use your phone to get into a sporting event, right? You actually had a paper sort of ticket. And if you've ever been to an event, um, you know, there's guys out there, like I think if they sell it above, it's called scalping. I think you can still sell it. There's like all these parameters about how you do it. But right, if you've ever been to a major sporting event and you bought a ticket from that guy, there's always this concern in the back of your mind, like, is this legit? right? Did this guy make this in his garage? Or is this like something that's actually going to get me into the game? Because we know that there's a difference between having a fake ticket. That's not going to be very helpful for you um, when the time comes. Um, My wife and I, we were invited to hang out with a bunch of pastors from all over the region, um, over um, here in uh, Southern Wisconsin, over in uh, Milwaukee for the Brewers game. And it was kind of like um, kind of a big deal. They, they was in one of the clubs and they had food and drinks and all sorts of stuff. Now, mind you, it was mostly like Baptist pastors. So the bar did pretty well that night. They were like dishing out lots of soda. They were like made more money than they probably um, used to. But to get in, like we needed a ticket for this. And so it was on our phone and I had to scan that puppy like four times. Like I had to like scan it to get in at the front gate. I had to scan it to get up to the club level. I had to scan it like again to get into the club. Then they put this little wristband on me, you know, and then I was good. But it's like, that was, it had to be the official ticket to get me in. I can't just pull out my shopping card and, you know, hey, here's a barcode. Why don't you scan this, right? It, it, only that real ticket worked. Again, in this digital age, a little more kind of legitimacy. I had no doubt going to the game that my ticket was going to get me into it. But there's a difference between a real versus fake ticket. What James is concerned about for the church is that they might be missing it. Some in the church might have what they think is real faith, and in fact, it might not be. It might be um, what he calls dead faith. Oftentimes, I think this passage, uh, we would be wrong to assume that James is contrasting here in this passage the difference between faith and works. He's not contrasting faith and works so much as he is contrasting dead faith and genuine faith. Dead faith and genuine faith. And that's where we're going to see this morning is kind of what's the difference between a dead faith and a genuine faith. Again, James asked this question. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? 
what a pertinent question for us to um, wrestle with, encounter, um, unpack this morning. So before we go any further, let me just pray that God would teach us as we um, hear from him through his word this morning. Our God, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity we've already had to respond to you in song, God, to declare your goodness, your faithfulness, God, your work through the cross of Christ. And Lord, as we look to your word, God, we desire to hear from you. We submit ourselves to it. God, we uh, open up our ears, our minds to um, hear uh, what, is it, what it is that you have for us this morning. And Lord, we desire to live out the truth that you're calling us to. So God, together as a church body, God, we wanna submit and put ourselves under your leadership. And so Lord, lead us now, teach us now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, according to the power of your spirit, amen, amen. All right, well, here's where James starts. He's gonna kind of attack and sort of go after um, just what uh, dead faith looks like. And, and, and here's kind of, I think, the main point that he's proving, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's this, is that faith that is dead is useless. Faith that is dead is useless. Um, I read the first verse. Let's read it again, and then we'll keep going with it. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right, well, here's the thing. James is trying to drive home a point in this passage, and that is this, that a dead faith is of no value at all, it is totally worthless. Uh, James uh, couldn't be using stronger language, right? The, the word that he says there in verse 17, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead, right? Uh, we understand this concept of dead, right? It's like, it's like this is a corpse, there's no life in it, there's no value in it. And, uh, and, and we don't like often to think about death, but death is a real thing. And, uh, you know, this week, I uh, kind of illustrate it this way. This week, we added to the Jacobson house a hamster and a fish. Um, before, before last weekend, we were a house without pets. Now we are a house not with a pet, but with pets. And we started kind of small, you know, uh, we have that fish and that hamster. Here's how it kind of happened. Martha um, got a fish for her birthday. And that sort of cracked the door for pets. And so Ellie, our oldest, you got to watch those oldest ones, um, kind of seized the opportunity and kind of began this conversation around a hamster. And somehow she ended up like buying, and she would want you to know if she was like with you right now, that she paid for it herself. Okay, so she bought her own hamster. And so all week, we've kind of had fun watching these little guys. Uh, we have Winston the fish and Maverick the hamster, okay? And, and we've been watching these guys. And, and, and here's the thing is already, I'm like such a downer dad because I know the day's coming when these guys are gonna die, right? I'm already like kind of bracing for it. And so I've already kind of talked to both of the, like, the kids about it. Like, hey guys, you know that this thing's gonna die someday, okay? And, and, um, and, and, and I, again, I know, I'm, I'm just a realist here that, that, that there's, like, there's only so much life that these guys have. And um, I'm not gonna do the thing, and, and I know some of you have done it, where the fish dies and you run quick to the pet store before you know, the kid sees it. Like, oh, we're just cleaning the tank. And you get that fish in there. I won't tell your kids, but I know you've done it, okay? You've, you've tried to replace that fish. You get, well, no, it needs to look like 
this, like just so they don't um, uh, notice. But here's the thing, at the point when they die, uh, they will cease to be a valuable part of our home. Now, if you ask my wife, Bree, um, she will, she's already questioning if they're a valuable part of our home while they're alive, okay? But for sure, like when that day comes, uh, when, when they're dead, it's like there's, there's no more value here. Right? How, how sad would it have been if Martha on her birthday opens up and kind of gets this like fish and like he's just belly up like, like guys, what are you doing? Like what, what good is this? It's, I, I, if it's alive, it's fun to watch. If it's dead, like it's of no value. That's what James is saying here, okay? That he's particularly using this language of death to show just how unhelpful it is. He says faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. It's dead, and so here for us today, let's, let's just look and see what does a dead faith look like. I think there's a few descriptors that we can pull out of this passage. The first is this. Uh, a dead faith looks like this. It looks like words without deeds, right? That's the example that he gives in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Okay, brother or sister, that's someone who's in and a part of the church, so say we're gathered here on a Sunday, someone who's part of the church comes in and they walk in and they are poorly clothed. That's like putting it lightly. The, the connotation is almost naked. Like, like they don't have proper clothing. They're, they're um, it's in, it, kind of in rags. Um, they're, they're not clothed in the way they need to be. And they're lacking in daily food. They're starving. If, if, we, if they come in and all we say or all you say to them is, hey, I hope you find some good clothes this week be warmed, right? I hope you get a hot meal later, be filled, go in peace. He's like, what good is that to say that without actually helping kind of figure that out? He's like, these are words without deeds. And so you might be here today and you might say, yes, I have faith in Jesus. But what James is saying is, is that if you, those are words alone, if that faith in Jesus has not produced life change in your actions in who you are, then that faith is a faith that is dead and is a faith that cannot save. It's not enough to just say that you have faith. And so words without deeds shows this dead faith. He continues in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I would frame this as uh, leaves without the fruit. He's kind of saying, some might say that it could be separated. He's like, well, you know, you're just kind of a works guy. Like you, you like to live that out. I, I'm more, I just, it's kind of a belief for me. It happens more, it's more internal. It's not as visible. You have faith, I have works, right? That they can be separated. And what he's kind of saying is some are saying, hey, you can have an apple tree and they don't have to produce any apples. It's still an apple tree. And he's like, no, no. He's like, if you want to see an apple tree, I'm going to know it's an apple tree because it has apples. I'm going to know for sure that that's an apple tree. I mean, imagine before we have some of the testing or things, I'm sure there's like, I don't know, um, you know, things that you could kind of dissect and look at and figure out that this truly is an apple tree. But if you didn't have that, if you're just kind of looking at a tree, how do you know it's an apple tree? Well, <laughs> by the fruit, you're going to look at it and the leaves might tell you something, but, but like, man, there's no apples on this thing. Are we sure it's an apple tree? What James is doing is he's making the point that action is the way that faith is seen. It's demonstrated. And so what he's saying is, is that to, have, to, to make the statement, I have faith, um, but somebody else might have works, he's like, no, you can't have faith 
without the works, that's how we see it. Like if there's faith there, it's going to be demonstrated in the works that are visible. In the same way that an apple tree, you know it's an apple tree when it produces apples. And if it never produces apples, well, maybe it's an apple tree, but, but what good is it? He's like, it's the, it's the leaves without the fruit. That's kind of the main thing of why you would plant an apple tree is so you can get some apples. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. He's like, genuine faith produces fruit. Uh, the next one that I think we, we see here is in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. I would call this knowledge without response. What he's referencing there, again, he's writing to Jewish believers that are scattered about. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. He's referencing the Shema. The Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Do you know what the Shema, it's, it's, it's a, a creed that the, the Jewish people would recite on a daily basis. They would say, uh, behold, uh, O Israel, behold the Lord our God, he is one. And it's true, that it was, it was a, uh, a very um, uh, defining characteristic of the Jewish people's faith, that there was one God. Not multiple gods, there was one God. And he said, listen, you might daily be reciting that Shema, uh, saying that creed that, that God is one. That's great. But he's like, the demons believe that too. They believe that God is one. Not only that, but they're even afraid of God. They shudder. So here's the thing is that it's possible to have a knowledge of God and even some of his characteristics and who he is without a response to him. He's like, this is a faith that's dead. If you know God but don't respond to him, then it's what good is it to have this knowledge? Similarly, I would say out of the same verse, what we see is a picture of the demons' uh, rebellion without response, right? Like we know from other passages, we know from God's word that, that, that the, the demons are actively, um, uh, purposely uh, at odds with God and his plans and his, his, his working. Um, and so you have here a, a refusal so the demons know who God is, they know his power and presence, yet they do not put themselves under his leadership. It's a rebellion against him without repentance. There's no contrite heart. Because the reality is you and I may find ourselves in this place, right? We might uh, rebel against God. We might choose some things that are at odds with him and his character. But there's a difference between a rebellion that moves toward repentance and then moves towards a reconciliation and restoration in the relationship as opposed to just hanging out in that rebellion. Some of you maybe are there. You're in a place where you know what God has said. You know his decree. You know the things that he has commanded. And you're like, yeah, I know that God has said that that's what I'm supposed to do. Or I know that God said to avoid that. And so I know that I'm rebelling, but I don't really care. I just want that. Right? We, we sometimes do that. And what he's saying is, hey, if that is the condition of your heart, if there is unrepentant rebellion, well, then maybe that's flowing from a dead faith. M maybe the reason that that's there is because you haven't truly trusted Christ for who he is and you haven't come unto, under the leadership of him in your life. And then... Uh, I would frame the last one this way. A dead faith is an interest in God without a love for God. 
And he shows the opposite of it with these two examples. He said, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Again, strong language. He's trying to get their attention. He's like, how could you be so foolish? If you think that faith apart from, from works is not useless, he's like, was it not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way also, Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He says, if, if Rahab, if Abraham, if they would have merely had an interest in God without a love for God, they wouldn't have been motivated to do the things that they did. This is the example that was given. And so because they had a love for God, uh, they were willing to respond in this way. And he says, listen, interest in God without a love for it, this is a faith that's dead. And he says, the faith that's dead is not a saving faith. That's what he's getting at in verse 24. And maybe this feels like it's a little against the grain of some other verses in scripture. Uh, you'd be right to sort of at least question and see that. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Like, wait a second, I thought we were justified by faith alone. Are, are we saying that works add something to it? And that is not what he's saying. He's not saying that, um, that our works are what saves us. He's just saying that a genuine faith will always be demonstrated with works. So if there is a faith that does not have works, that's not a genuine, it's not a saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, Paul, writing to the church, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's the thing. This is not a contradiction. I think both are necessary. Paul was writing to a church that had swung the pendulum to a legalistic side. And what they were doing is they were looking at their works and the things that they were doing, and they were kind of making this statement that, I have earned favor with God because of my uh, honoring of him and my following of the law and all these things. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, you're not being justified by your works. You're being justified by faith alone. And so don't think that you can boast because you have these works. Well, James is writing to a people that have swung the pendulum the other way. And they're saying, well, I just have faith, right? I don't have to live this out. I don't have to care for the people around me. I don't have to actually have heart change, life change in my life. I can just... I have faith. And so this is, this is what he's dealing with. And so James is writing into the context of people who need a more active response. So just to be clear, so there's no confusion, it does not mean, what James is not saying is that deeds earn more merit with God and that somehow your deeds are what earn righteousness or saving faith for you. Rather, genuine faith affects the believer's behavior and leads to regenerate godly actions. Faith that is fake and superficial, a faith that is dead, does not produce godly actions. So to merely say that I have this faith does not produce it. And I wonder, even as you look back at this list, like let's just kind of take, take inventory real quick here. 
is like, are there things on here that you would be like, man, that's kind of me, right? There's words without the deed. I mean, is it, is it weird? Do you, are you like a different person on Sundays when you gather here? Or let me ask it this way. Would your coworkers and would your friends, your neighbors, would they be surprised to know that you're here? Is there, is there like kind of church friends and then like other friends? Like what, what does that kind of look like? Is there, is there a separation between the two? Because, you know, there might be some things. Are there, are there things, like, again, like rebellion without repentance? Is there, is there things in your life that you're, you're hanging on to that you're unwilling to submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ in your life? You know it's wrong, but you're unwilling to acknowledge it and to repent of it and to seek him for forgiveness of it. See, what James is trying to do, the, the, the gift that he's trying to give the church is to say, listen, if you have a faith that is dead, I want you to be able to spot it and see it because it looks like these things. But let me tell you, this is what a faith that is active and genuine looks like. And that's the second point, it's this. Faith that is genuine is active. It's active. If your faith is real, it's gonna play out in your life in many different ways. You're gonna see it in, in, in all sorts of ways. And again, if we just kind of walk our way back through the passage, I think we see it in several ways. The example, again, in verse 15 is one of generosity. So I would say one of the ways that an active faith is seen is generous like God. It's a generosity that reflects the heart of God. People that have been saved by Christ understand and know that God is generous toward them. And so we are then can be generous to others. And so that's why the person, if they see someone in need, can go to them and say, listen, how can I help? Again, not that we can meet and take care of every single need that we see around us, but, but there are some that we can meet, and if we can meet it, let's do it. That's what a generosity like God looks like. Uh, number, um, or the second one I, I, there comes from uh, verse 19. It says, you believe that the Lord is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Um, that is a submissive faith. Right? They're submitting to the leadership of Jesus Christ. That's a faith that is active, is one that submits to. So contrary to the demons who know but do not submit, right? they know and not responding, the active faith is one that submits to God. It's one that's willing to say, listen, God, it is your will, your plan, your way here and I'm gonna place myself under your leadership, your direction, your submission. We talked a lot about the leadership of, of Jesus as we walked through the uh, 23rd Psalm this summer, right? Like we talked all about, like what does it mean to have God as our shepherd and to follow him in the paths that he leads in? And there is a time. I mean, there might be some things where, where you know what? Um, you just need to submit to what God has said. And it might not be what you want, but you trust him and what he's asked. And so you, you can kind of, okay, God, I'm gonna lay down my thing and I'm gonna do yours. Even Jesus modeled that for us, right? He says, not my will, but yours. I came to do the will of the Father, the one who, who sent me. James 2.21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? I think the example we see in the person of Abraham is one of trust. It's a trusting in God or of God rather, a trusting of God. It was trust which led him to act in the way that he did. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, just for, by way of review, or maybe if you're unfamiliar with this story, 
Uh, Abraham, one of the patriarchs, the father of the faith, um, God met him and came to him and said, listen, I'm gonna make you into a great nation, a great people. And, uh, and he visited Abraham in a time when he was old in age and had no children. And so uh, Abraham was kind of like, God, I don't know if you know how this works, but um, in order for that to happen, like I gotta have a kid. In order for me to have a kid, you probably should have come like a lot earlier in my life. Okay, that, that, that ship has sailed. And, uh, and he's like, if, you know, if that's going to happen, it's going to have to be a miracle. Well, miracle happened, okay? Um, Sarah had a baby, and, and uh, Isaac was on the scene, and so it seemed like God's promises were going to be made out. But then one day, uh, God visited uh, Abraham again and said, you need to sacrifice Isaac on the altar to me. And he's like, are you sure? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I thought this was the plan. But, but what he did is he responded in trust. And we learn later that, that Abraham thought, like God provided a, nif- a different sacrifice. He ended up not taking his son's life. But Abraham thought that, well, if God's asking me to do this and I truly do it, then he will just raise him back to, the, to life again. Because God gave me this and he's, he has a plan for this. And so I'm gonna trust him in that. And so it points to the faith that was demonstrated by, by trust in the life of, of uh, Abraham here. But notice what it says. It says, scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That was written some 20, 30 years before he sacrificed Isaac. And so it's like this was said about him, but then it played out even decades later in his actions in his life, which was why later in scripture he was called a friend of God. And you see that it wasn't just a faith, just saying, yes, God, I believe your plan, but he was demonstrating that faith by his willingness to even follow through with this taking his son to this altar and sacrificing Isaac before God. But then on the complete other side of it, moves from father of the faith, uh, kind of what would have been known as like next to Jesus, probably the greatest name that they would have been um, kind of trusting, following. And then it brings up Rahab. Well, Rahab, she's a woman, she's a prostitute. What does Rahab teach us? And it's this. I think she demonstrates what it looks like to serve others, serving toward others. What did she do? Well, she was um, there in uh, Jericho and the spies came and, and, and what she did is she made a way for them to escape. She put herself in danger in doing so. Um, she was serving them. And, 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 and uh, the point that James is making hopefully is not lost on us. It's saying whether you're Abraham or whether you're Rahab, if you have faith, that is demonstrated and seen by your actions. The work that you are doing And so, church, for us, as God impacts our hearts, it should play out in our life with change and action and a uh, difference that is made in us. As a way of just kind of um, illustrating and, and kind of sharing this, I, I like to kind of find, especially with familiar passages, like what's a, what's a fresh way to be reminded of this? Um, I thought of um, the story of, of uh, someone in our church who's been, been uh, coming for a little while and a and, um, uh, new friend of mine, a uh, few, few weeks ago, I, I heard his story and just thought, man, it really illustrates what it means to be changed 
um, by the gospel and then respond in faith uh, through actions. And so I'm gonna invite Charles Baraka to come up here and to share his story um, with you. Um, and he's gonna share the story of how he came to know Jesus and, and, and really the way that that then played out in his life. It's, it's um, an incredible story. And so I'm just gonna give him the mic and sit down and, and thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for giving me uh, this opportunity to stand before people of God to share uh, my, my story. So, uh, I'm Charles Baraka. Um, I born, I'm a Burundian, born by nationality, but I was born outside of my country uh, because of the ethnic conflict that was uh, destroy my community. So uh, I, I, I grew up in a family and uh, uh, my father uh, used to told me always that uh, other tribes are bad. Uh, in Burundi, we have three tribes, Hutu, Tutsi, and Batwa. And uh, those tribes are already in conflict. And uh, in Congo, there is 40, uh, 450 tribes. And uh, in Uganda, there is uh, 56. So those conflict in Burundi was affected uh, uh, many communities and living with bro uh, broken hearts. So. Uh, I am Hutu, and uh, when I was uh, grow up with the wounds from my father to talk to me about other tribes, uh, uh, I got saved, uh, receiving Jesus Christ as uh, my Lord and, and my Savior. But because of the wounds heart and broken, uh, it it was like that. Uh, I don't have faith. So I was, I was living with hate for other tribes. Uh, because uh, when I was at school and my boarding, some of my friends were killed, and we, uh, I ran out to be uh, 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 dis uh, displaced in the refugee somewhere uh, through the war. So, and 2004, uh, I was finished my secondary school and go to uh, uh, university. And uh, when I attend a workshop uh, of healing and reconciliation, God meet me there and he healed my heart. And it was like I was born again, uh, reborn again. Because I was already born, but I was reborn again. Uh, I changed it. It's like I, I become new in my, my, my mind, my thinking, my life, and begin to, to, to change. And after uh, any workshop, we were with uh, uh, different persons uh, from different tribes, from uh, pastors, uh, uh, police, military, uh, youth, 
from different churches and different tribes. So, in, in fact, my uncle was killed by the other, uh, other tribes uh, in the world, and uh, that is, and the other of my friend, father, and also my friend at school. So it was uh, like a psycho war that is continued. So uh, in the workshop, there was a, a girl, a younger girl like me, and uh, from other tribes. And we get friend through that workshop, and uh, She's the one that uh, after a long, uh, some months or some years, she become my wife. We are together now. So she become from other tribes. And uh, my wife, we live together here. I think one day she will come to show her story here. And his father was killed by my tribe. You see how the, the separate, uh, the different of our tribes were, and how the conflict was. And when I go, I took her picture to go to my family to tell them that this is my wife that I was going to marry. They said, "Are you going to bring the people who was a kid, our family, in our family?" So I told, I, uh, I told, I told to them that. Uh, Yes, the, this is the tribe who was done wrong in our country, who killed our uncle and our, our friend. But she's not here. Because when we have a broken heart, when we live with wounds, we took, uh, uh, if someone doing wrong for our, uh, ourselves, so we will take or tribe, or, 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 or group in, in, in one, one basket, and the judges them. So, uh, and the, when my wife will go to her family to talk to them that she was going to be married by a Hutu, so they said, how can you do that? This tribe was a kid, your father, your uncle, your cousins, your friend, and others. So, to bless them, you got to marry with them, and then they bring babies for them. They will continue to be a big number of my, our countries, and they continue to kill us. It was a very hard, very uh, hard this, uh, situation for us. But truth, the faith that we have, and the word of God that we get it, we take strong, and we have started that time to run small workshop of healing and reconciliation in the community. Here is what you see on the picture. I was uh, this is the picture uh, for a few months ago. I was in in Africa to to for for to bring uh, teaching peace and uh, reconciliation in different tribes in Africa. So. What we have done was make a, a fruit truth our faith. I remember uh, one of our church, uh, one of the church that we gone uh, to uh, to to do our testimony and the running workshop uh, in 2008. Now, 
after over 10 years, pastor of the church, he sent me a voice in the photos. He said, we were glad for your workshop because until now, it continued to work in the heart of the people because one of the group, a lady and a boy, they, they loved, but they, they are from ethnic, different ethnic group. And their family was refused completely to, that they can married. But they stand before the church and it said, we knew someone who was passed here to, to teach us about uh, how we can live in peace and unity and what God was called us to do. And now we were here to say that we will continue to love each other, one another, and to change our community. They are living together until now. And this is the fruit from the faith. So uh, one uh, thing that we do in the healing and in, in the help people to transform is to make, to, to call them, to show their heart before God and be transformed of my, uh, their mind through putting their, their wounds on the cross of Jesus, as you see for the, the picture. So, uh, other things that we do is to feed refugees. We, have, uh, we, we left in refugee when there is 80,000 people, and we don't get money, but every year we do fundraising to uh, just to feed small number of uh, uh, most poor families in, 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 in refugees. Uh, we give them food, and we, we can, uh, uh, they share uh, maize, beans, uh, flour of Polish, and then this helped them to, uh, to believe in God, to, to know that uh, we love them, we pray for them, we are together, we are one body in Christ. So, other things we do, this is the handicraft that they do in a refugee camp. The, through these things, they try to make just a small amount that they can feed their kids. And uh, sometimes they don't have a, a market where to sell. Uh, when I go there or uh, I call the church to, to take those uh, handicraft and I bring here, I working in different churches, and saying to the people, hey, if you buy one for $5, just $5, or $10, or $20, it will help to save the life of refugees. One week or two days is okay. So some of them, when I bring it, they buy for 20 because instead of buying over $5 or $10, they give 20 They say this is a gift. They give 30 They give 50 They give over. So that is what we do. So through that, you see the other picture that day, it was my, uh, my wife uh, is called Gilbertine. She, uh, she was a trainee uh, for women to know how they can start small business by little things that they have. 
if uh, they can buy tomatoes, uh, as you see there, uh, someone is selling tomatoes. It's one of refugees that we have. We help it to start the, the life. And then now she's doing well with the, uh, her, her kids. Other things is to give uh, help for uh, vulnerable uh, families, to give pigs. And then they, when they bring a baby, we give it to, uh, the baby will be for other tribes. And it will be unity and, uh, and uh, peace in different tribes. And they continue living together. So uh, the, the last thing that I am going to show you is uh, how the faith is work. You know, whatever we do, in small things, action can make a difference, can change life. You know the woman of the Bible, Tabitha, she was doing just a little things for windows and the orphans. When she died, the work that she has done was speak after her. And the people was gone through uh, uh, Peter and said, we cannot agree that Tabitha can die. They bring what she has done for them. So, I, I, I can say that uh, our life is for transform others. And we can do that just for similar things that we have to share with others and transform their life and build faith inside them to believe in God. Thank you so much, Pastor. You know, I think, um, again, I think the thing that just stood out to me as I heard, and, um, you know, Charles shared his uh, story is just, again, the, the transforming power of the gospel. You know, it started with this reconciliation of, of um, you know, between the tribes and, and uh, in his own heart. And as he said to me, I think the first time he's like, you know, I, I had heard or kind of believed the gospel my whole life, but it wasn't until that moment that it really took root and, and I saw the genuineness of, of that. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's the power of, um, of what the gospel can do when it truly takes root in, heart in, uh, or takes root in our hearts and in our lives. And, um, you know, I think it's just a great example of now God has used him and his family to just be a blessing to hundreds, if not thousands of others. I mean, they, uh, there's, he could, he's got so many more stories and things that he could share. There's so many cool things that um, uh, he's been uh, involved with and kind of helping. I mean, his wife and, and him spent, uh, uh, was it seven years in, in, um, in a refugee camp and, and helping plant and start different churches there and, and just some of these ministries and things that were happening. And, and um, he's just such a blessing to um, other refugees now. And so it just Mind you, I mean, there's so many places that I think God would have us step into and be willing to go if, when we allow um, that uh, that faith to transform and and change our heart. So to kind of wrap things up and, and to um, you know kind of go from here, um, you know, I think one of the questions I often ask is why is this passage here? You know, why 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 is this? Why did James include this? 
And I know one of the reasons that it's not here, it's not for God. Like God's not like looking up and waiting for the external actions of our hearts to um, you know, put a stamp of approval on our faith. He sees our heart. He knows whether or not our, our, our faith is genuine. I think it's for, for us and it's for us to look at our own faith and to ask the question, the question, is our faith, is my faith genuine and real? Like, am I seeing action come about? Am I seeing the fruit that God is producing in this? If not, what are we doing about that? And I'll tell you where you don't, what you don't do about it is you don't go back and say, well, I just need to get active then, I need to do stuff. It's like, no, you need to lean into the faith in Jesus, trusting in him, and then that transforming work will lead you toward action. So if you're not seeing the fruit, then lean into the faith and the fruit will follow. Right? That's what he's saying here. And then I think it's also helpful for us when we look to the faith of others. We can look to the fruit, we can see, and then ask the question, is there a way that I can help them? I'm not seeing the fruit being produced. So there's a way as a, as a brother or sister in Christ, can I help spur them on toward loving good deeds? Can I help bolster that, that genuineness of their faith? Can I help in that? So again, if your faith is lacking, respond to the work of Jesus, trust him for salvation, and the works will follow. Okay, that's where it has to, if your faith is, then ask, is there, is there some places maybe that it doesn't line up with the faith I profess, right? Are there some things that, that I'm, I'm saying but I'm not doing? I mean, even corporately, together as a church, you know, I always get a little nervous as we approach prayer night. This is not a pastor guilt, I promise you it's not. But as we approach prayer night, it's like, listen, we say that we're a church that believes firmly in the power of prayer, right? That God only works through the prayers of his people. And then if we don't I gather to pray together. And I recognize, I'm not saying if you're not there, you don't have faith in that. I'm just saying, I'm saying that it should be something that we put as priority because we know that when we gather together, that it's important. I mean, that's what, that's what it is. It's that activeness of our faith. And so we look to Christ, we allow him to transform us, and then that plays out in all the areas of our life. I'm gonna invite the team to come up. We're gonna close our service with a song. Let me just pray as we uh, do that. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your saving work upon the cross. Jesus, that is where we place our faith and trust and we find our hope is in your finished and accomplished work. And so God, because of what you've done in our lives, God, because of what you've done in our hearts, we now live in response to that. I pray that that would, in fact, affect every area of who we are. God, our thoughts, our actions, our desires, Lord, our priorities. God, would you continue to shape us, to grow us, to transform us more and more into the people that you would have us become. God, that we would be better reflections of you here in this world. And so God, we acknowledge God, that you are good, God, that you are holy, that your way is, is righteous and good for us. And God, we desire to follow you. And so we respond to you, God, in faith, knowing, trusting, God, that you will do the transforming work. God, we look to you. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.